can't wait until that day, that day when we see Jesus face to face. And this, this gospel that we've been talking about in Romans is the only way. The message that Paul was writing to this church in Rome was the only way that we can access Jesus in that way today and, and in forever. And uh, so we want to turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 today, uh, verses 21 through 31. Good morning, everyone. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Peninsula Grace. We've been using in, in the book of Romans this courtroom analogy uh, to kind of talk about our position before God. And so if you would, if you close your eyes with me, and then we'll pray and I'll be done. No, um, if you close your eyes, uh, I want you to imagine this scene, okay? You are uh, walking into the courtroom. You're brought before a judge. You are guilty of murder. Actually, many murders. And out of countless other crimes, you are a bad, bad man or woman. You're all, you're all bad. And the prosecutor, he coldly reads the specifications for being right with the court, being right with the law. And then he just systematically and accurately points out every single one of your failures to keep that law. Morally, you're a stench to the entire court. Now after the case is read, the judge looks at you for a response, but what can you say? It's all true. You're guilty as charged. You stand before the judge. Your mouth is sealed shut in guilt. How does that feel? What's the weight of that guilt upon your shoulders feel like? And in the meantime, there's a defense lawyer that's working for you. He approaches the judge on your behalf. Now, his job is to defend you. Surprisingly, though, and very annoyingly, he doesn't deny the facts or even attempt to excuse any of them. Instead, he actually agrees with every single one of the counts. He goes, you're right. My client is an awful person. And you look at him like, what in the world am I paying you for? And then he boldly proclaims that he wants the judge to declare you not guilty and give you right standing with the court. And the judge peers over his bench and he looks at your lawyer and he goes, based on what? He's clearly guilty as charged. And then your lawyer, your mediator, explains that he will take your sentence on himself. And because your defender has a perfect record with the court, doesn't even have a traffic violation that his right standing will actually be passed on to you and he will accept your punishment. The judge reflects on this and because your defender has a right, perfect relationship with the judge, perfect standing with the court, he accepts it. And you watch as the judge slams his gavel down and says, not guilty. I declare you, and you insert your name in there, Justin, whatever your name is, I declare you legally right with the court. And then he turns to your defender. And he says, you will take his penalty. You will die. You will sit in the electric chair and take the punishment that should have been on the one you're defending. Now, you know you're anything but innocent. But now, you walk out of the courtroom. Perfect standing with the state of Alaska. Free. Treated like an innocent person. You walk away, amazed and confused and beyond thankful and bewilderment of what your defender did for you. You can open your eyes. This morning, what we're going to see is this bizarre scene in the courtroom that we just painted is exactly what each and every one of us has been given in Jesus. I want to say thank you for hanging out with us for the last four weeks, the last month, we've been looking at the bad news, right? 
Four weeks of condemnation and wrath. We have to understand that before we get to where we're going today, and that's the good news. If you remember, Paul has been working on this thesis statement that he built back in chapter 1. And in his thesis statement, he said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. There's this gospel that I want everyone to know. And the reason I'm not ashamed of it is because it's the power of God to save. Anyone who believes this message, this good news, will be saved. And this is why. For in it is what's given to you that you most need. Think about this right now in your life. What is the, the biggest need in your life, according to you? What do I need in my life? Is that the, I, need a, I need a raise. I need a different job. I need to mend this relationship with this person in my life. I want to move to a different location. Whatever it is that our biggest felt need is, we've got it wrong. Our biggest need is exactly what the gospel offers us. And he says it in 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteousness of God, being right, having a right relationship with God, is what you and I each most desperately need. Nothing else in life matters if our relationship with God isn't right. And what God, or what Paul showed in seed form in these two verses, he is now going to unfold and it will blossom into the most beautiful truth, the most precious news that you and I could ever hear. And for three painstaking chapters, Paul first dealt with sin. Remember, this is our outline, where he's going. And he first had to show us the bad news. He first had to show us how sinful, how guilty, how unworthy, how wrath-deserving we are in God's sight. But now he's going to turn the corner. And he's going to start talking for the next two and a half chapters about what God did to make that situation right. And, And in verse 21... He says, but now, but now, this is the great corner. I wanted to say this is my favorite but in the Bible, but I didn't know if the elders would let me, so I'm just going to not say that, all right? Not going to say that, just move right on, all right? Here we go, all right. So, his but now, but now, and when he says this, this is the central passage. This is the key, this is the key that unlocks the entire gospel for us. We have to understand these next six verses. In fact, when Alva J. McLean, he's a commentator that I've been reading through as I've been studying this, uh, somebody came to him once and said, Brother Alvin, okay, that's how you know you're Alva, that's how you know you're old. They said, Brother Alva, Brother Alva, if you could take any six verses from the Bible and have to leave the rest of them behind, what six verses would you choose? He said, I would choose Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. And so, Taking, taking Alva at his word, I, I took these verses this last week and I tried to hide them in my heart. And what a precious gift we have of God's word revealed to us. And I want to encourage you, man, to memorize scripture, not just read it, but to hide it, internalize it, make it a part of who we are. So I'm going to try to say this to you. A lot of pressure here. It worked good in my, in my, my kitchen all by myself, but in front of all you guys, we'll see what, what happened. But Paul says this, and I have the verses so you can test me. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested to us apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to, this was to show God's righteousness. In his, because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Something like that. It was to show his righteousness in the present time so that he would be, the, would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if we embrace this truth, if, if we believe these verses, if we throw all the weight of our dependence on these glorious truths, this, this is it. This is the dividing line between life and death. This is the dividing line between heaven and hell, between peace and brokenness, between hope and despair, that we might have hearts to receive and believe these glorious truths. We want to unpack what exactly Paul is saying this morning in these verses. This, this passage deals with this concept called justification. We have some big words here that we need to unpack so we understand what they mean so we can live out what they mean and embrace what they mean. And so justification, we often see this word used kind of in the same line with righteousness or righteous. It's because they have the same root word. They, they essentially mean the same thing. To be justified is to be right. And, and so let me kind of explain. In fact, my name, my name Justin, my parents wisely chose. It means the just or the righteous one. Now, very important to understand, just because you're named something doesn't mean you are something, okay? Now, you think about this word justification, and it actually means the, to be declared legally right, to be declared legally right. Now, those are very specific, important words, because we are distinguishing this from being made right. And justification is God declaring us right in his sight, not actually making us right. So, to illustrate, if I was to ever get married, okay, uh, pigs will fly first, who knows, but the, the, this, this lucky gal, okay, would be declared, the moment that we sign that paper and turn it into the court, she is declared a Frankino, right? Now, does that mean that all of a sudden, because she submitted that paperwork and is legally declared a Frankino, that all of a sudden she looks like me? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> that all of a sudden, I mean, just, just because she's legally declared a Frankino, she has the same blood type, she has the same personality, she has the same looks. Legally, before the court, she's seen as a Frankino, but it doesn't mean she was made a Frankino. She has all of the benefits of being a Frankino, right? All those bennies I'm bringing in from the church, right? Those are all now for her, too. But, but she is not. She is still who she was. This is a legal declaration. Being justified, it means that we are declared right with God, not made right. And this is important because think about this. The day you got saved, the day you got saved, were you immediately perfect like you didn't sin anymore. The day you got saved, all of a sudden you're just like, I love Jesus, and I love everybody else, and you're just kind of floating around, serve, 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 it's not about me. Was that your experience? Of course not. Of course not. You still sinned. You still had temptations. You still had all those problems in your life that you did before you were saved. Now, we're going to get to Romans 6 through 8. 
that talks about our growth process and how we actually become what we are declared. Okay, so that, that life change does happen, but what we're talking about here is justification, our legal standing, our relationship with God. And so what we're going to see in, these, in this passage is this grand opening, the big reveal. It's opening night, and God wants to show the world God's righteousness. We're going to see in this passage how we can have a right relationship with God as condemned, guilty sinners. So, a couple of things about his righteousness. First of all, how he did not reveal it. This is not how he showed his righteousness. We are justified apart from the law. Look with me in verse 21. This is the English Standard Version. But now... But now, yes, all of that was true, your condemnation, your guilt, your deserving of wrath before God, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been clearly seen or shown. How? Apart from the law. He said it is not the law. And the first part of the good news is that we receive this righteousness not by behaving, but by believing. Not by behaving, but by believing, which is great news for us. Because what we saw over the course of those first three chapters, that you and I, we don't have the ability to perfectly keep one law, let alone 613 of his commandments. He took three chapters to show us that no one could ever achieve God's perfect, holy, righteous standard on their own. None of us. And all other belief systems on earth, they ask, they demand righteousness of you. It is only Yahweh of the Bible that says, I'm going to give it to you myself. So he shows us how he did not reveal it to us. Secondly, he's going to say, this is how I've always said I would reveal it to you. How I've always said I'd reveal it to you. Our justification is witnessed by the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. He says, although, so, so what he's saying here is the law didn't make you right, but I'll tell you what, it sure pointed ahead to how you would be made right. This is Paul's point here. And you remember, we we walked through the series, we called it His Story, and we just went through the story of the Bible, and we actually showed how all those stories tell one major story, and the purpose of every single story was to point us to Jesus. That all of the Old Testament was, was picturing, was prophesying, was promising, was pointing ahead to the Deliverer. And we see the witness of the law. He says the witness of the law points to Jesus. So, so every time that an Old Testament Jew would sin, what were they called to do? They were called to, to take a lamb or a bull and put it on an altar to confess their sin. And then they would, in an act of faith, kill that lamb or kill that bull. And what they were doing, and they didn't know all the details. They didn't know how it was all going to work out. But they were looking forward That sacrifice was picturing there's a way that God is going to deal with my death penalty, my death sentence for my sin. And the law demanded these sacrifices for their sins. It was pointing ahead to the coming Jesus. And the witness of the prophets did the same thing. And you go back and you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Time and time again, they are prophesying and pointing forward to the coming deliverer. In fact, there are over 400 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. You read your Old Testament and you will find one picture after another pointing to this way that God would reveal his righteousness. And then we see, okay, well then who did he reveal this to? This good news of how he could be made right with God, who did he show it to? Who did he give it to? And we'll see that justification is to all, all who will believe. It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. It says anyone who will believe 
This will be given to through faith. Now, next week in chapter 4, we'll talk more about what faith means as we look through the life of Abraham. But he says it's for all, and here's why. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's actually a continuous verb. They continually fall short. They keep falling short of the glory of God. So the point is, it's for everyone who will believe because everyone needs it. And the good news is, it's offered to everyone. So why did he do this? Why in the world would God offer this to us? We're going to see that he's more justified freely by his grace. Verse 24, and are, those who believe, are justified by his grace as a gift. As a gift. So a couple things here. First of all, he says by his grace. This word grace, it means unmerited favor. In other words, I'm going to give you my favor, I'm going to give you my blessing, this righteousness, and you'll do nothing to merit, earn, reward it. You can't do, you and I cannot do one thing to earn this righteousness that he's going to give it to us. And that's why he says it's a gift. Your translation might actually say freely as a gift. This word gift, it meant to be given freely or without reason or cause. You and I cannot give God one reason one cause in our own works and our own merit of why he should give us this righteousness. But here's the beautiful news. How much did it cost us to receive this justification, to receive right standing with God? It was free 99. It didn't cost us a thing. Are you kidding me? Which is good because we didn't have any money to pay for it with. So then how did he do this? How did he freely give to us what we could never earn? How did he do this? How did he reveal his righteousness? And we're going to see it's through redemption. We're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The answer lies in Jesus and his redemption. So what in the world does that mean? What, what does redemption mean? A couple big words that we need to unpack in this passage. The word redemption means to set free, to liberate, or deliver by payment or a ransom. Okay? So think about this. If, let's say that uh, my, my boy Isaac over here, he gets kidnapped, okay? Poor Isaac. I don't know what he's doing. He gets kidnapped. And these bad guys, they demand a ransom. You, remember the, the bad guys with the little mask? And if you ever want to see your friend again, you will have to pay me a ransom. <laughs> That's how the, the bad guys always laugh, right? So, so they, they demand this ransom. If you want to redeem him, in other words, if you want to buy him back, There'll be a payment. If you want to set him free from, from us, then, then you've got to pay us a ransom. Now, is there a cost there? Oh, there is a cost. Justification, it may not cost us anything, but it costs God everything. See, the, the payment for a ransom, it, it, it depends on, it, it's, it's all about value. So if you're going to pay someone a ransom, when we talk about value, value means what you're willing to pay for or to, to buy, for, to either buy or sell. What, what's the cost? What's it, what's it worth to you? So think about it this way. If, if Isaac is kidnapped, the kidnapper will set their value, right? Five million dollars. That's what he's worth to us. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty good. That's not bad. So high teacher, they're, they're going up these days. Um, so, so $5 million is what, what we demand, that's the cost. But then it's also on, on my end, what's Isaac worth to me? I'm looking at him, $5 million bucks. That's pretty. that's pretty steep, right? But I am a pastor, I'm rolling in it, so you know, we can do that. But it's not just what I'm, what I'm willing to pay for Isaac, it's what I'm able to pay. So I have to want to buy him back for that cost, 
And I also have to be able to make the payment. So, so we were ransomed. Sin was our master. And, and the price was death. And is God willing and is he able to pay the cost to redeem us from sin, to buy us back as a ransom? What were we worth to God? And if God was willing, what my Bible tells me, that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son, to lay down his own life. That means the, the value that God, when he looks at me, when he looks at you, you're worth everything to him. He was willing to spend it all for you and for me. This should humble us. This should leave us in awe to our core that this is the value that God had for me, that he was pay his own life to redeem me from sin. Now, now, how did he do this, though? How did Jesus pay for this? I mean, you think about Jesus died 2,000 years ago. What does that have to do with me today and my sin? How is that payment sufficient? Well, in verse 25, it says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, most, most of us are like, I can't even pronounce the word propitiation, let alone know what in the world it means. So, let me tell you. Propitiation means to appease God's wrath by satisfying his violated justice, to appease God's wrath, the wrath he had on us because of our sin, and to satisfy his violated justice. So let me say it this way. As a good judge, as, as, a, as God who will always judge right and fair, he's holy, he must punish every sin. Every single sin that I've committed will commit. Every sin that you've committed will commit. Every person, all time, every sin must be paid for. The wrath of the law of God, his holy standard, must be satisfied. He can't just go, oh, it's okay. Sin, schmin, just give me a hug, right? Can't we just let bygones be bygones and pretend that it never happened? He can't do that. That is outside of his character. He must punish sin. So, in order to be right in God's sight, two things needed to happen. The penalty of every single one of my sins had to be paid for, but not just being not guilty in the negative sense. It's not just God wiping the slate clean. To enter into his presence, I actually have to have his level of righteousness. So how in the world does that happen? Well, let me try to explain it this way. So God is holy, right? That word means perfect, set apart. And whatever God is, he is infinitely. The word means without limit. So if God is something, he is infinitely that, and he will always be that. So God is holy, he always was holy, he always will be holy. So if I was to commit one sin, let's say I go my whole life and just sin once, and I lie about my weight, I'm like, I'm 150. Guilty. Right there. I have fallen short of the glory of God. That one lie. And for as long as God is holy, I can now no longer have a relationship with him because of that sin. And what's the payment of sin? The payment of sin is death. We see that in Romans 6. The wages of sin, what you earn for even one sin, is death, let alone the hundreds and thousands of times that I will sin over the course of my life. And this word death, it means separation. So if we sin, we can no longer be in his presence. We are separated from God. So the reason that we have to spend eternity as sinners apart from his presence is because as long as God is holy, I have to be separated from him because of my sin. So that's the dilemma that you and I find ourselves in. 
So, in God's sight, we have two payment plans, okay? There are only two payment plans that he will accept. The first one, and stay with me here, the first one is that finite man, so you and I, God is infinite, we're not, we're limited beings. We don't know everything, we can't be everywhere, we're limited. A finite man, or woman, can make an infinite payment of death and separation. So that's what we can do on our own. The only option, the only way we can pay for our sin is to be eternally separated from God. That's the first option. It's not a very good option, is it? The second option is if, if there was an infinite being, if there was someone who who was without limit, that could make a one-time finite payment. So either a a finite person can make an infinite payment, or, or an infinite person could make a finite payment. But this person would have to be perfect. They would have to be infinitely holy, infinitely perfect. And there's only one person that has ever walked this earth that could make that claim, and that was Jesus Christ himself. He came to this earth as God, infinite God, and he died in our place. This is what 2 Corinthians 5 says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You see what he says? He paid, and that one time, because he was infinite, he could make that one-time payment for all my sins, for all time, and he gave me his right standing with God. It's amazing. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, though. If the payment is death, and God is infinite, he's eternal, then how could God die? And you guys are always asking the right questions, let me tell you. Jesus, who who was infinite God, he became flesh, right? He took on the body of a human. He was fully God and fully man. He was fully God so he could be an appropriate offering, but he was fully man so that he could die. So you see, Jesus was the only solution apart from us paying for our sins forever. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Last point. What this shows us about our God. This is an amazing gift that we've been given through Jesus, but this is what it tells us about our God, most important person in the universe. It shows us that we're justified by a just God. He says in verse 25, this is the New Living, I like the way it said it, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. So, so let me explain this as best as I can. A good judge punishes, right? And, and punishes immediately. If you've got a serial killer, they don't just go, eh, you know what, you can just frolic around for a little while and we'll you come back to us later and we'll figure this whole thing out, right? No, that's not a good judge. That's a bad judge. A good judge says, this is wrong, you must be punished now. So God has two options, right? It's either immediate wrath, immediate punishment, or it's grace. Anytime you and I are not zapped for our sin, the moment we sin, that's a grace of God. That's a grace of our God. To not immediately judge, immediately pour wrath on us. And in Acts 17, it says, talking about in times past, God winked at sin. That doesn't mean he made light of it. It means he passed over it in judgment. He didn't immediately judge it. So how could he do that, though? How could a good judge not immediately punish sin? There's only one way. God didn't overlook any sin. Every single sin was punished on the cross. And so everybody who came before the cross was shown grace if they weren't immediately judged, 
because of the cross that was coming. They basically, they were put it on credit, okay? You think about your Alaska Airlines, you know, credit card, right? We, we blurred it out. I didn't want you guys stealing my, my number. So they put it on, on credit, that, that it showed that, that that sin, that sin wasn't dealt with until the cross, but by faith, as they sacrificed lambs and bulls, they were looking forward to the one who would make that final payment. We would say that it's, Jesus is like Visa. He's everywhere you want to be justified, right? Everywhere. All right, that was bad. That was bad. But every person, listen to me, every person is saved the same way. It's not like the Old Testament, they were saved by law, and now we're saved by faith. The Old Testament, the saints looked forward by faith. We'll see that next week. And, and now we look back by faith at what Jesus did. But every single one of us, every person who will ever be saved and made right with God will only be by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says that he's shown to be the ju- just and the justifier. And again, the New Living, I like the way it says this, verse 26. For he was looking ahead and including them, the Old Testament saints, in what he would do in this present time. See, they were included in this. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. What, what the gospel shows us about God is that he is right, that he is the good, just judge, that he has punished every sin for all time, and that God is right in making us right in his sight because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. The way that Alva, my boy Alva said it, he said, God, because of Jesus, God could be just, holy, and righteous on his throne, punishing sin, upholding his law, and yet at the same time, he can take a sinner like me, pronounce me righteous, and treat me like a righteous man, even though I'm not a righteous man. There is not a man in all the universe that can find fault with God for doing it. Why? Because Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for every sin that's ever been committed. So God was right when he declared me right in his sight. And we don't have time for the last four verses. That's why we offer you the Romans reading plan. You can find every week in your bulletin or on the website under the sermons tab. All right? So follow along. Uh, no, we really do. It's, it's been awesome to, to go through that uh, reading together. I encourage you to, to dive into his word. But I want to end with a little bit of application here. Three things this gives us before God. This good, beautiful news. The first one is that this gives us boldness before God. This, this gospel, what Jesus has done for us, gives us boldness before God. If you remember the story of Esther, Remember, she said that she, she could not enter Xerxes' presence unless he held the scepter forward toward her. If you walked into his presence and you weren't admitted in by his scepter, you would die on the spot. God is holy, and the only ones that can enter his, ho- his holy presence are those who are also holy. And if we as sinners aim to enter into his presence to look at his face, we would die. And I was thinking about this, even just in earthly terms. Like the, think about the Oval Office. Like, you wouldn't just boldly march into the Oval Office. Like, what's up, Prez? Right? Like you're getting tased. You're getting taken down if you don't have the right clearance to go into the Oval Office. But then I was thinking about I found this picture. It was so cool. This is JFK and his two little kids, Caroline and John Jr. Now, do they look scared to enter into the Oval Office, to approach the President of the United States? No, they're playing, I don't know what that is, hokey pokey. I don't know what they're doing there. But they're in their dad's presence and they just boldly come in there, Daddy, right? And, and this, is, this is the reality. Because God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus' blood, that you and I can enter into the Holy of Holies and run and jump into our Father's lap and pull on His beard and be loved by Him as His children.
that you and I can enter into the throne room of grace and have the same standing before our God as Jesus does, the same access to God that Jesus does, the same rights, the same relationship with him we now have in Jesus. We can enter into his throne room boldly. But we also, this gives us humility before our God. Humility. Because the reason we can enter into his presence is not because we're not sinners. No, we certainly are. But because we've been declared right in his sight by Jesus. That's where we have to remember where to boast. It's a gift. We can't boast when it's a gift that's been given to us. I I found this picture and I just loved it so much. This This was a race. And this boy, he won first place in this race. Now, Does he have any legitimate grounds to boast in his own abilities to win that race? No, it's the guy that pushed him, right? It's the one that pushed the wheelchair across the finish line. And when we enter into our Father's presence, we don't go, man, look at me. I'm so glad I'm not a sinner like the bunch of them. The only way we cross the finish line into God's presence is by Jesus Christ ushering us in himself. And we boast about the lamb that was slain, not our own ability. We enter with fear and trembling. The only reason we can enter into his God's presence and call him daddy is because of what Jesus did for us. We enter boldly, but we enter humbly. And finally, the acceptance this gives us before God. The acceptance before God. See, the problem with analogies is they all break down. And when we talk about God as judge, we don't want to see him as like this, this guy, right? For a lot of reasons. But we don't want to just see God as some cold judge who looks down on us and is like, fine, right? I guess Jesus died for you. I have to let you in. I don't like it, but not guilty. Come on in and hurry up. I got seven billion more morons to deal with, right? That's, that's not God's, it's not his angle toward us. God doesn't just see us as these people he has to put up with in his presence because Jesus was willing to pay the price. God sees us as his children. And he delights in our presence like you delight in the presence of your children. And I've seen some of you, you guys just, just without shame delight in your children, right? Let's look at this picture. This is my two sisters and they are here at, at a wedding and they are, look at their captivation with their own children, right? They delight in them. Look at my little babies dancing. They're not even dancing. They're just holding hands. You're the ones dancing, Right? And we see that with our own little kids, like, oh, look, he blinked. I'm like, big whoop, right? Just a bitter bachelor. No, I don't. We delight in our children in the same way that God delights in us. And he didn't just want to put up with us. He wanted a relationship with us. He wanted us to be into his presence, to call him daddy, to spend eternity with us. And so the reason we are accepted as his children, as his sons and daughters, is because his own son was condemned. Because Jesus hung on a cross and bore our guilt and shame. His only son was sacrificed so that he could call you and I his sons and daughters. Let's pray. Father, what a gift. Thank you for Jesus. And I think about where each of us are in this room this morning. We come from different places. Maybe some of us are struggling with entering your throne room boldly. We know that the deceiver, the accuser, wants to tempt us to despair. He wants to tell us of the guilt within. Father, I pray that there's there's someone in this room today that's buying into Satan's lies, that's listening to their flesh, that they're not worthy, that, 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 that you don't accept them, that they haven't done enough, that they need to keep pushing in and be better before you'll, you'll put up with them in your presence. 
that they would reject that lie and embrace the truth of the gospel that we just read today. That because Jesus was condemned, we are accepted into your throne room. They would boldly enter in by the grace of Jesus. Maybe some of us in this room today, we're battling with humility. That we've bought into the lie that we're okay. And we're kind of doing our own thing, kind of impressed with ourselves lately. Father, that your gospel would humble us. The law would expose to us, man, we have no good thing. There's no reason, no cause in ourselves for you to give us this right relationship with you. That we would despair of our own efforts, come empty-handed to the cross and receive your gift. And maybe there's some people here today who have not experienced this acceptance with Jesus. Father, that you would open the eyes of their hearts so that they would come to an understanding that the only way to be made right with the creator of the universe is to believe that Jesus took their punishment for them and now they can have the same standing, the same access, the same relationship with the Father as he does. Because he took my punishment and I get his righteousness. Father, we may never fail to be amazed and stand in awe of the free gift of Jesus for the grace to trust you more. It's in your son's beautiful, affecting, wrath-satisfying name that we rejoice in, that we praise you for, and that we pray to you today. The only reason you're listening to us is because of Jesus. It's in his beautiful name we come humbly, boldly, and accepted. Amen.